Hear the word of the Lord in readings from Acts and Ephesians. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who, will, who we will appoint this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, it is. It's the only perfect part of the sermon. That's, that's over with now. The Lord be with you. Great uh, to be with you as we continue to study together the power, the person, the presence of the Holy Spirit in this sermon series that we're working through together. Um, those filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, um, were filled again in Acts chapter 4. It's talking about a prayer gathering they were having, and it says that the whole place was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts chapter 6, it says, let's look for men who are full of the Holy Spirit that we can put in charge of this particular task, which was serving uh, the people of God, the widows in particular among them, in, in a very specific way. Uh, and so what's interesting about this is that um, being filled with the Spirit was not just a one-time event that people look back on, but was a continuing experience that marked a walk with God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit was something which was always part of simply what it meant to walk as a believing Christian. It didn't mean that you were a special Christian. It meant that was really basic Christian living. And so Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an imperative. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But interestingly, the tense is a continuous tense. So literally, you could translate that text that we heard this morning, Ephesians 5, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. But of course, we need to um, because of uh, the experience that many of us have had and because of things that we've all seen, we need to talk just a little bit about what uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't. That's important for us. Charles Erdman said the people who he met who were most filled with the Spirit were the people who were least conscious of it. They were those who simply saw themselves as servants of Jesus. One of the things about the time in which we live in is that people, when they talk about being filled with the Spirit, always want to, it seems, talk about particular signs that are associated with it. But you'll remember last week when Peter talked uh, to people on the day of Pentecost, he let the signs take them somewhere. That's what signs do. Signs are not meant to get our attention and make us stop. 
Uh, they're meant to point beyond themselves. If you're driving down I-40 and you saw a big sign that said Knoxville, you know, somewhere just this side of Cookville, you wouldn't get out and look at the sign and go, wow, I thought Knoxville was bigger than this. Um, it's pointing beyond itself to somewhere else. That's the purpose of a sign. Signs aren't where we stop. That's not what it is. A lot of people do want to stop around signs. Uh, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is tongues. I think that's what some people tend to think. But uh, it's important for us to remember that the signs point beyond themselves to a greater reality, and that reality is the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, the Holy Spirit always comes to point us to Jesus, to glorify Him. And so Paul says, be filled, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, this is interesting to me, when some people talk about being filled with the Spirit, it seems to uh, at least the way they suggest it, mean that, that their minds are shut off, that they lose control of their emotions and their bodies. Well, you know, if your mind is shut off and you've lost your control of your, your body and your emotions, it sounds a whole lot like being drunk. Uh, but Paul says being filled with the Spirit is the exact opposite. It's not a, a comparison, it's a contrast. So in fact, the presence of the Spirit sharpens our minds and deepens within us the least taught-on fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is self-control. It's the last one that's mentioned in that great harvest of the Spirit's work in people's lives. And so it's important for us to remember that the person and presence of the Holy Spirit is meant to lead us into a place where we delight in the Lord Jesus and share His life with others. Uh, Francis Schaeffer years ago talked about... Um, some people who put their emphasis on the signs themselves instead of on the content of the message, and that they make these external signs the test for fellowship and acceptance. In other words, as long as you have the signs, you're one of us, you're in. But the signs, the signs, again, point beyond themselves. They are not the basis of our fellowship. The other problem with an overemphasis on these things is that we tend to downplay what are the ordinary means of grace. So what do I mean by that? Because that's an interesting phrase, ordinary means of grace. We, we like stuff which is extraordinary, and we tend to downplay the ordinary. But God has chosen very ordinary means by which to communicate His grace and extraordinary work to us. We would tend to downplay something like baptism or prayer or the ministry of the Word or coming to the Lord's table. Well, we just do it. We just do it, and we don't necessarily feel something amazing about it. We don't think of it as an extraordinary moment. But in fact, something extraordinary is going on in those very ordinary moments that lead us to places of being filled with the Holy Spirit, growing in the grace of God. It's as though some people think every single meal should be sitting down at the French laundry or per se or having chocolate cake for breakfast. I love a good chocolate cake. This is not a shock. You can see just by looking at me, he likes chocolate cake. I'm in shape. It's a round shape, but, uh, you know. Okay, so here's the way this works. If you, we took a poll this morning and said, what did you have for dinner two weeks ago last Thursday? Most of you wouldn't be able to tell me what you had for dinner two weeks ago last Thursday. But you'd remember if you hadn't had enough money to eat, and you couldn't. 
have dinner two weeks ago last Thursday. And you'd remember if maybe the elders had called a fast and you didn't get to eat two weeks ago last Thursday, you'd remember that. We don't remember the ordinary. And yet the ordinary, as every parent in here knows, is what causes people to grow. It's a funny thing. God gives you these children, and it's weird. You keep stuff in these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in them, and they turn into grown-ups. How did that happen? It was ordinary, and they grew. That's what happens. The ordinary is coupled with the extraordinary. We need the extraordinary interventions of the Spirit of God in the life of our church and in the life of our nation. We need the extraordinary interventions of the Spirit in our personal lives, and we have that often. Uh, Sometimes that comes in the form of conversion. Sometimes that comes in the form of deep spiritual encounters with God that renew us. I mean, how many times does a teenager get saved? Well, it just depends on how many church camps they go to, right? (laughs) And so we keep looking for those extraordinary moments and thinking the extraordinary is the normative. But actually, being filled with the Spirit is something which is for every one of us. And we have these encounters with God which are extraordinary. But it's a deep mistake to turn the extraordinary into the normative. The normative is that we simply walk with God in the power of the Spirit, and our lives are characterized by a few things. I want to share with you this morning what characterizes those things. They're listed for us in the passages we've read. Let me share them for you real briefly. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Here's the first thing, speaking. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, they all began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Whether it was speaking in languages, as in Acts chapter 2, or speaking the Word of God with boldness in Acts chapter 4, one of the first marks of being filled with the Spirit is that your mouth is available to God to communicate His message to other people. They were all speaking. Remember, those flames rested on each one of their heads. Every single one of us are speaking people. Now, as soon as I say that every single one of us are speaking people, somebody always wants to quote back to me St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach everywhere you go and if necessary, use words. That's a lovely proverb, except that St. Francis of Assisi never said it. (laughs) The the first mention, he was, by the way, by the way, just so you know, St. Francis of Assisi was a great preacher and he was part of a preaching order. All right. So, so that's important to know. And secondly, the first mention of any of that kind of phraseology shows up in history about 100 years after his death. So we never said it. All right, that's, that's number one. But secondly, just as Christians, listen to what Paul said. We believe, therefore we speak. Would you say it with me? We believe, therefore we speak. In other words, it's impossible to, as a believer living in the Spirit, keep your mouth shut when the moment is right for your mouth to be open. Now, some people, of course, live at the other end of the spectrum and need to find the break. That's fine. I was listening to a guy one time, and, and I just went on and on. I, he asked afterwards how he did, and I said, well, you missed several good opportunities. And he said, opportunities for what? And I said, well, to quit. And so, um, you know, that happens too. But the truth of the matter is, we are more often than not paralyzed by fear, and we don't open our mouths when we're actually called on to say something, to share a word of prayer, a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a scripture, something that God 
puts in our heart to share with other people. It's important to know that people who are filled with the Spirit were speaking people. Here's the second thing. They were sacrificial people, sacrificing people. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking. But then it says in the book of Acts, in this passage in Acts chapter 4, they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. It then goes on to say about those people that these people sold their property and gave all the proceeds at the feet of the apostles and said, this is so that all of these people can be cared for. When people are a spirit-filled people, the heart of God is in them. And the heart of God is a loving heart, a giving heart, a sacrificial heart. It says that no one of them thought of anything as even their own. They simply gave of themselves. This morning, we'll have a couple of opportunities to give. Every Sunday, we worship in our regular tithes and offerings. The first Sunday of every month, our deacons receive a special offering. That's just the custom around here to help with benevolence needs. This Sunday, when that special offering takes place at the very end of the service, all of the proceeds will go for Hurricane Harvey relief. We're partnering with Mission to North America, with our sister churches in the Houston area and are down into Louisiana to help relief and meet the needs of people. There are people from here who are going to go on down there and help with relief efforts as well in the weeks to come. In other words, we're moved within ourselves because we are connected to people and we can't help but make sacrifices to help others. Why is that necessary? I was singing this morning with you when oceans rise. When oceans rise, you won't fail me. You know, if some people are singing that in Texas and Louisiana this morning, that has a particular significance. If you were singing that this morning and you have people you care for in those parts of the world, it probably meant a little bit more. What happens when our hearts are stirred? The Spirit directs us to be sacrificial, giving people. That's the way these people were. They were a sacrificial people. Here's a third thing. Singing. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, Be being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the word of God to one another, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. One of the hallmarks of God's people who are filled with the Spirit is song. And that's not surprising because God is a singer. God sings over his creation. The morning stars sang together at the moment that God said, let there be light. Christ sings over you this morning in Zephaniah 3. It says that God rejoices over you with singing. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says that Jesus is the one who stands in the midst of the worship, singing in the great congregation. That's why we always say when, when someone says, who's the worship leader here? It's Christ. He's not only the object of our worship, he is the one who is leading the worship of the triune God, singing amongst us. So it's really no surprise that when God the Holy Spirit takes hold of a heart, that person has, here's the words of the psalmist, you have put a new song in my heart, a song of praise to our God. Victor Hugo, who wrote Les Mis, said, music expresses that which cannot be said about that which is impossible to remain silent. When you and I have the Holy Spirit within us, there's something that takes hold of our voices in songs of praise. Be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, I know some of you could be sitting there going, yeah, yeah, yeah but you, 
you didn't want to sit next to me in singing. Uh, other people have that gift of, of song, but, but not me. But the Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. So even if you don't think you can sing, let me just tell you, you're part of this amazing choir of God's people that joins with the holy angels. And we offer up our songs of praise to God. It's characteristic. Where the Holy Spirit is moving, you're going to see new songs that are being written. Where the Holy Spirit's moving, there's going to be waves of praise that come out of the hearts of God's people. In other words, singing isn't an effort Singing is just a sacrifice of gratitude that we offer up to God. The biggest book in the whole Bible is a book of music. And so the people of God have always been a singing people. And in our songs of praise is the proclamation of the name of Jesus. That's why it's no shock that when we read about the early church, they were always a singing people. You and I can sing wherever we are at all times. Now, that isn't necessarily going to be a blessing to everybody else. Um, I, I made a trip to uh, Bethlehem. Well, I made a few trips to Bethlehem, but on this one occasion when I was staying there, uh, stayed in this house. We were on a rooftop apartment, and uh, you could walk out onto the rooftop, and so there's Bethlehem. The very first morning I was there, uh, Bethlehem is a largely Islamic city, and so you hear at 5 a.m. this call to prayer being sung out over the whole city. Well, I was very annoyed by that. I felt myself provoked in my spirit, mostly because it was 5 a.m., but also because I thought, here we are in Bethlehem, and we're, we're doing this. Oh, no, we don't. And so I got a friend of mine up, and I said, let's go. And we went out on the rooftop, and we began to sing. It's July, but we began to sing, looking out at the shepherd's fields, at the top of our lungs, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. We started singing at the top of our lungs until that thing stopped. And then we kept singing some more. Well, we just didn't want that song to be the song of Bethlehem. Can I ask you a question? What's the soundtrack of your soul? What's the soundtrack of your home? Is it a song of praise? Is it a song of gratitude and thanks to God? That's where we need to be. Here's a fourth thing, serving. They were serving people. It says about those men that they chose to put in charge of the task there of caring for the widows. It says, choose men who are full of the Holy Spirit. People not only sing because of the Spirit, they serve because of the Spirit. What's one of the marks of the Holy Spirit? Dirty hands. Tired feet. Tired backs. Serving people are a people filled with the Spirit. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. He, when Jesus came into his presence in Mary's womb, jumped for joy and began to speak words of praise inside the womb. But his song... His shout turned into service. He served the purpose of God in his generation. He spoke, and he ultimately laid down his life. This is true for all of us. In 1 Peter 4, we are supposed to serve, Peter says, not by our own power, but with the strength that God supplies. So 
among the people of God, one of the marks of the Spirit of God is a kind of voluntarism that says we want to be part of what God is doing. In Psalm 110, it says, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. When God visits his people in power, there's something that comes up in the heart of people that says, I can't wait to be part of this. Rather than fear, rather than manipulation, any of those kinds of things trying to cajole people into doing something, the Holy Spirit takes hold of hearts. And when the Holy Spirit takes hold of us, we can't help but give ourselves to what we see the Lord doing. Let me give you one more. It's the most popular one of all. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then he says, listen to this. You ready for this? Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. What's one of the marks of the Holy Spirit? Submission. How many of you are glad you came today? Your submission, really? He says, yeah, Ephesians 5. He says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We're directed by the Holy Spirit to live under authority. That is the most popular message in America today. You know, as Americans, I just got to tell you, just culturally, we struggle with that. We struggle with it because the entire atmosphere in which we've been raised defines freedom as the liberty to do whatever we want, and nobody can tell us what to do. And submission to another person, that is a violation at the, down to the deepest core of our being of, of something of our own personal identity. I'm not going to submit to anybody, but I... I just want to remind you about something, about vows I took. Part of the vows I took when I became a pastor was this. Will you be in submission to your brothers? And I said, yes, I will live in submission. Why does Paul say that living in submission is a mark of the Holy Spirit? Well, you can see it in the life of Jesus There was a Roman centurion whose servant was sick, and he came to Jesus, this is in Matthew chapter 8, and he says to Jesus, my servant is at home sick, and Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. Then the Roman centurion says something extraordinary. He says, no, 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 just say the word. You don't need to come, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority. So I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to this one, come, and he comes. And to another, do this, and he does it. And the scriptures say that when he said that, Jesus marveled at his faith. Now listen to what the Roman centurion said that amazed Jesus. I, too, am a man under authority. So I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to this one, come, and he comes. And to another, do this, and he does it. I too am a man, what? That's not what I would have said. I would have said, I too am a man with authority. So I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to another, do this, and he does it. That's not what the Roman centurion said because he gets it. 
The Roman centurion said, I too am a man what? So what do I have? Authority. You have it because you're what? Under it. But the interesting word in the whole passage is the word too. He looked at Jesus and he said, I too am a man under authority. Jesus, the reason you don't have to come to my servant's house, the reason all you have to do is say, go to the disease and it'll go, is because you are under authority. What? Jesus lived under authority. And so guess what he had? He had authority. Whose authority did he live under? He lived in subjection his whole life to the Father. So that he would get to the Garden of Gethsemane and he would look at something like the cross, the crucifixion, the horror and the terror of a Roman cross, and he would fall on his knees and he would say, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, say it with me, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will. Not my will, but thine. Let this mind be in you, Paul wrote, which was also in Christ Jesus. He wrote this to the Philippians. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, something to be held onto, but instead emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took on the form of mankind and he became a servant and he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because he humbled himself, God highly what? Exalted him. We live Thinking freedom means I can do whatever I want. But the freedom the Holy Spirit brings is to become a slave of Jesus because Jesus became a slave to win us back to the Father. He went and died a slave's death on the cross. He shed his blood for us. He served. He washed our feet. He's among us today as a servant. He called you into worship. He's cleansed you with his blood when you confessed your sins. He's carving you up with the sword of his spirit and renewing your mind. He's calling you to his table where he set the feast, where he offers himself to you. Who's doing all the work this morning? Christ is. He's the servant. And he calls us, his people, to have that kind of identity in the world. So that when we look at each other, we don't look at each other anymore with bitterness and unforgiveness. We don't look at each other anymore with a sense of, what can I get out of that guy? What can that girl do for me? How do I get to the cool kid's table? It's whose feet can I wash? Because as the psalmist said, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. We become submitted servants of the Lord. What does the work of the Spirit look like? You know, friends, there are times when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit looks like an amazing, stunning, unusual intervention, wind and flames and miracles. Do you know what the Spirit usually looks like? It looks like people showing up when no one else will. 
giving when no one else will. It looks like ordinary things that accomplish extraordinary things. The Holy Spirit is at work right here, right now, pointing us to a man on a cross who, through the Holy Spirit, died so that we could be reconciled to God and rose again so that we would never be forsaken. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know the man on the cross? Is he just a man in history? Or is he a man in your heart right now? If he has yet to come into your heart and you want him there, I invite you to receive him this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we need to be filled with the Spirit again and again. And we pray that the hallmarks of the Holy Spirit would be found in our lives. That you would help us to celebrate the extraordinary in the ordinary. And for all those here this morning who need Christ in their hearts, who have not yet come to know him, I pray that you would right now, by your grace, pull back those open doors of their heart and step in. I pray that for all of us who feel empty, you would fill us to overflowing. Make us a spirit-filled people continuously. In Jesus' name.